0: What's going on, everybody? Thanks for joining us here on our ESPN Esports Valorant show. Arda, Tyler, and Jacob with you. Emily is off for this week, and we got a lot to talk about as we wind down the Ignition Series. So now, with the conclusion of the Pop Flash tournament, the Ignition Series has effectively concluded. We don't have any more major tournaments on the horizon. Of course, Riot focusing attention on the League of Legends World Championship coming up very, very soon. But uh, I know we're going to do a very special segment at the end of the show where we give out some Ignition Series awards. That's something you can look forward to. But, uh, gentlemen, when we look back on this inaugural eSports series since the launch of the game, the Ignition Series, Tyler, starting with you, how, how do you look back on it, just overall?
1: Ooh, I look back on it... I'm never, I think we're going to look back on it pretty fondly. I think for North America, it was a huge success. I think we saw rising numbers throughout the initial Series tournaments. We saw teams like Sentinels become you know brand names inside of the Valorant scene. Uh, lots of new casters coming in. We saw a lot of different really good formats from Pop Flash to Phase Clan Invitational to Pax Arena. Just a lot of good stuff all around. I think we're also going to remember Japan and how Japan kind of made itself known Japan wasn't a region many people were talking about at the start of Valorant. It was all about, oh, South Korea or China, South Korea or China. Which of these two Asian regions is going to be the best of Asia? And then Japan comes out of nowhere and is like, we have more viewers us. than Korea. <laughs> yeah, it's us. We're the best. Like, look at us. We're Japan. Like Japan's like, we're gonna have more viewers than Korea and China combined for some of these events. We're gonna we are gonna have more pro teams than both of these nations. And Japan's really just embraced the game in a really awesome way. And I also think it's going when we were going to talk about the slow start of Europe, where, where NA has had a lot of viewership, and it's kind of just these growing rivalries, where it's every tournament it seems like there's a new beef happening, and there's memes, and there's storylines, and there's narratives. In Europe, it's pretty much G2 just slapping everyone. It was just G2 slapping them there, Mixwell slapping them there, Artists slapping them there. It was just a lot of slapping, a lot of slapping with the <laughs> G2 boys. And I think it's a thing of the viewership, Got a bit better by the end, and it's becoming more stable. When I think of FBX, Team Liquid, Big, NIP, uh, potentially Rogue coming into the scene in the coming future, and we know Fnatic and Mad Lions and a few other European organizations, uh, Vitality as well, are looking at the scene, seeing, you know, seeing maybe early 2021 if they want to pick up a team, if Riot uh, announces kind of what their plan is for the next year of Valorant Pro scene. I think Europe's going to be on the rise, but I also think it's very much... NA did amazing, really strong start from NA, Japan was the big surprise, and Europe is very much a and sea. It's, it's not like Korea, where Korea does seem like it's going to need a lot of help to be a bigger region, but I do think Europe's going to be on the rise, and I think it's, just, it's a waiting period for Europe. So all in all, really, really great idea of a riot. Lots of fun tournaments. I really enjoyed it. Uh, now we kind of enter a mini shuffling period, which we will talk about very soon. Lots mm-hmm. of teams gambling, a lot of orgs looking for some new members. It's going to be a spicy little mini off while World Championships going on in Shanghai for League of Legends.
2: Yeah, I, mean, I feel generally that like this will be a fun period for this game. Put into perspective, right? Like, I think this would have looked a lot different if not for the pandemic. I'm not saying that every single event would have been a LAN. I'm not saying we would have like an international big LAN like a yeah, IM, Cataviche, or ESL One Cologne that we normally get in Counter Strike in a regular year. Like, I don't think we'd have that level of tournament in in Valorant quite yet. How uh, regardless of the pandemic or not, but I think in terms of like launching a game, uh, launching a game, launching a game in the middle of a pandemic actually is probably a good thing because people are home more. So I think that a lot of people played generally just because they're they're not out with friends, like they have more time to just sit around and be on the computer, right? So like I'm sure player numbers are better because of the pandemic, but from an esports scene perspective, I actually think the pandemic hurts a lot. Not being able to host offline events, especially trying to get you know fans and seats, and tell teams that people are legitimately interested in this more than just watching on Twitch, et cetera. Um, and so, but I still think they did really, really well considering the circumstance, right? So like I look at it and I was like, you know, I think that it went really well. The scene feels, it doesn't feel unhealthy, it doesn't feel like it's the next big thing quite yet, but it's like it's a it's a good start, is is how I'd phrase it.
0: We're going to talk about it a lot more near the end of the show. We're actually going to give our Ignition Series awards, for example, best tournament, best match, et cetera, et cetera. So stick around until the end of the show. That's when we'll address that. But Tyler mentioned it. We're sort of in this, let's just call it an off-season for now, just for the purposes of what's happening with teams. We're already getting some big information as it pertains to teams looking a little different. We talked a lot about 100 Thieves on this show. Tyler and I interviewed Hiko and Nitro, and they basically said, we're going to take our sweet time in building this roster. Well, there might be two more players available for them to take a look at, as T1 has said goodbye today in a tweet to Crashies and Food. I didn't see this one coming, gentlemen. Didn't know where this exactly came from. I had heard that some teams knew about this because they were scrimming with T1. Uh, we The wording is interesting here also, Uh, Jacob, I'll start with you on this one. The wording is interesting here, in particular what Crashy says. Thank you, T1, for the amazing opportunity. Very hard to step down, but felt like it was needed with the way the team was headed. Wishing everyone the best and thank you again. So the words there, step down, seem to imply that at least for Crashy's, that's Crashy's tweet, that he made this decision himself. What do you think?
2: I think this team is in a rough spot, more generally. They were the hot commodity at the very beginning of the Ignition series, at the very beginning of the scene. You know, they were, like, really dominant. But everybody caught up over these, like, past few months, right? Like, everybody exceeded past them. This team always felt like an odd marriage, in the sense Mm -hmm. that, like azk and brax and skadoodle all x by i by power guys all really top counter strike players on their own right right incredibly respected paired with these two guys who really never made it in counter strike Crashies and food were like were good cs players but they never really made it to a, an irrelevant stage of counter strike in their careers so bringing them into this team always felt like it was a little bit of a, like a las vegas wedding uh in a sense but like to me like so I'm not terribly surprised by the news, to answer that question. Um, but at the end of the day, like I was not confident after probably one or two tournaments uh, into this that like this was the right marriage for T1 on our on roster.
1: So one, one half of this surprises me. So Crashies, I can give a little bit of info about. Before the most recent PopFlash tournament, I had a few people come to me and tell me, Crashies is out. They're like, Crashies is done. Crash is, is leaving the team. He's stepping down. He's leaving. He's gone. And it went back and forth until I was told, oh, yeah, he's going to, he's playing for one more tournament. He's going to play in one more tournament. He's going to play with T1 for this last tournament and then reassess his options afterwards. And we saw this happen where, uh, and I brought this up before, where right now we've seen Brax kind of become that lurker play those anchor roles, where at the start of Valorant, they tried to have him be that Tens or, well, Bordell type of entry star carry player, where he's, you know, entry fragging, getting all the kills, and it just didn't work. He wasn't looking as proficient and as comfortable as he really did on other agents like Omen, where he could do more of that lurking style, use more of his cerebral cerebral nature. To kind of get ahead and now we're seeing him play a lot more killjoy cypher which is also crashy's mm-hmm. main agent so i don't i that wasn't really surprising to see crashy's leave he, they tried him to play you know the phoenix and play him a more entry type of agents it didn't really work out i think he's one of the best cypher players in north america so i i if you're a team looking for a really strong anchor player i would pick up crashy's immediately food was the one that surprised me because all I've heard about Food from talking to various people top various pros in the scene who've played against him is that he's a very, very, he's a special talent. He's a very special talent that when he's directed in the right way and he's on, he's in the zone, he's a tennis level type player where he can put up 30 kills per game. And we've seen this time and time again in the group stages of these uh, edition series tournaments where if you look just like at the group stages of, you know, the Phase Invitational and the, you know, Nursery Gamer Showdown and the PAX Arena Invitational, He is a monster. He's putting up regularly 25 kills a game. His ACS is over 300. First blood's out of the wazoo. And then when it comes to the playoffs, he's kind of shrunk a little. He hasn't been as good in the playoffs as you'd want to expect or to lean upon your ace player. So for food, it was really surprising. And I do think it's because T1 is moving in more of a veteran direction, Arda. And uh, Mm. we have a bit of news on that. So there's a lot of shuffling going on. It's very, very exciting.
0: Before we get to that, the veteran direction that you alluded to there, mm-hmm. how much of this decision do you think is that leaked DM moment on stream? How much do you think that factored in? Oh,
1: man, it's so hard to say. Like, it's so difficult. Like, obviously that's something that comes up. Like, it's it's an awkward situation. uh Ska, got, Ska was getting benched regardless because T1 thought they were in Nitro. That was the reason why Ska was benched. Mm-hmm. Ska wasn't benched because it wasn't, because there was a lot of people going, ah, oh, Scott, you know, it's because of the awkwardness and the drama and people think of this and that. And I'm not saying that didn't add to the the awkwardness and it didn't add to the drama of the team, but he was originally benched because they thought they were eating Nitro and Nitro was going to step into that, you know, what I would believe was the jet operating role, or at least AZK would with uh, Nitro shot calling. So he would be the one left outside the door with him, you know, grinding the game to see if he can get back up to it and expand his agent pool. So, I think it probably added to the awkwardness. There's no way it didn't. But I don't think that was the catalyst of why Skadoodle was, was benched. He was benched because they thought they got Nitro. And they were the leaders of the Nitro sweepstakes up until 100 Thieves dropped the golden back. Until they weren't. <laughs> yeah, until, until 100 Thieves was like, Oh, let's just open up some uh, oh, 100K, 200K, 300K. Let's Let's just... Why not? You're Nitro. You're, you're God. Let's 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 go in. And 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 for everyone who thought that Hunter thieves were just you know taking Valorant is like a a small piece of their pie, they are the most aggressive team on the market by far. And love them or hate them or think he's like doesn't care about the, your game, or Call of Duty, Valorant, League of Legends, whatever. Nightshot is an aggressive or his team around him are being very aggressive, and they really do see Valorant as a big piece of their future puzzle. Mm-hmm. And they've been in all these conversations. So uh,
0: He's also it, been very blatant about how yeah, much he wants to win immediately.
1: He wants to win. Yeah, he wants to win. He's, he's someone who wants to win. Uh, he thinks that Valorant is part of the Hunter Thieves future as an organization alongside League of Legends. We'll see if he dips his toe back in the Call of Duty League in the future, but for right now... Uh, let's kind of look at it, right? Where if you're investing in the Overwatch League or Call of Duty League or even LCS, you're spending 10 plus million minimum just to get into it. For Valorant, there's no access fee. So you can spend all the money you want on these rosters and buyouts and, and salaries. And you have the extra, uh, the extra added, uh, they paid a lot for Hiko, but he also a great content creator. So under thieves is always thinking how they can build out their Valorant roster and how they can also just build their brand in general. So yeah, uh, We'll talk about it a bit more, but 100 Thieves are very aggressive on the market, and Nate Shot isn't just words. He's really trying to build the best team possible.
2: Yeah, I'm just going to make a, a point here about this T-Watt roster, expand a little bit of, of what I said. There seems to be, and uh, I know Tyler knows a, a little bit about what's going on with T1 and on our Thieves, too, to, to sort of add to this point. Um, there seems to be a little bit of tribalism here in Valorant. Uh, we already saw it a little bit. I mean, there was a reason people were, the players, were so excited about our Invitational earlier this year. Because yeah. they want to be like, my game, my game is better than your game. You know, yeah. Counter-Strike, better than Overwatch. Yeah. Apex, you nerd. <laughs> you know, like... Hitscan, no aim.
1: Apex in particular. Apex one, Apex one. So, yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, Hitscan, no aim. Fortnite kid wall. You know the the regular (laughs) regular thing, right? Like we we we've seen it. We've seen Twitch chat. Um, anyway. Uh, so there's a lot of pride, but I actually think that pride is a little bit more granular than maybe we think. Um, in the sense that there definitely seems to be a little bit of tribalism among the CSGO veterans in it coming into Valorant versus the CSGO young guys. Um I say that in the case of the Hiko's the Nitros Steels, who I interviewed earlier this week. Uh and I know like days has said this and, and a few other people, Skadoodle, Brax A C K, like they all feel like like they want to be together and like in a way, like, they're, you're a little bit lesser if you're one of those, like, food crashies, Wardells. Like, you know, if you w- weren't ever at the top of Counter-Strike, you are not the same. And and I think that that tribalism is fueling the way that we're saying roster building in some of these teams. Um, I think it will continue to fuel that. Um, yeah, and so I think that that's a huge point. I think that, that there is this, like, really, like, granular tick to this about people transitioning from one game to another and what their status was in the game before they got fouling.
0: Okay, well speaking of veteran CS:GO players, Jacob mm. had an interview with Steel and that interview is currently available on our YouTube channel. Terrific interview, please go check it out after the show. It is well worth your time, very open and honest about his thoughts on CS:GO and Valorant. But now let's go back to that point. Let's go back to the point of the mm. if this let's 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 assume Tyler this the the uh, mm-hmm. hypothesis here that tribalism exists mm-hmm. to the point where it's a uh, old guard versus uh, new faces sort of mentality that will now transfer to Valorant. Uh, I mean, there's one team then. Mm. If you're kind of looking at the landscape right now of Valorant, uh, there's one team where Steel would fit r- in quite well. I
1: mean, there's if you're two, looking at right? it that way. There, there's, well, there's two I tribalism, two. Hunter Team T1. Uh, so let's get into it. Let's, you know, uh, reddit... Competitive Valorant, you know the Valorant competitive section. Let's start clipping this. Like, let's get into the juice. Let's get into the real stuff we want to talk about. Arda. Okay. So well, let's look at T1. T1 is Braxton Azk. Those are our two players. And Skidoodle. And he's Skedoodle. back. And let's let's get that out of the way. Skidoodle yeah. is back. Like like Skidoodle's back. I brought that, this up it? before. Okay. Yes, yeah. Okay. Uh, from all sources, he's back. He's back. In. That was the That's, shortest
0: hiatus yeah. ever.
1: Well, I've I said this. I've said this it's like before. a month. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've said this. Uh, I've said this uh, consistently on the show. Is that. This isn't like a thing where like, oh, he's gonna he's just gonna stay on the bench and then leave and like T1 invested a lot in Skadoodle. Like this was not a type of player where they signed him on a flyer. See, this was another situation where a hundred thieves in T1 went to battle for a player trying to sign him and T1 won this round. And they really believe in Skadoodle. And Brack and AZK obviously want to play with them. They're all friends. They're the Scudoodle felt blessed that he would have the chance to play with two of his closest friends again after the whole I by power debacle. Which leads us to the Rumoured fourth player that I've been hearing about being uh, thrown around. So I've been hearing that the fourth player of this team, not signed yet, not been heard that he has been signed, but he has he's been he's previously tried with the team, and it seems like he could be the fourth member uh is dates, where obviously Jake is probably gonna be smiling at this. This is you know, another, another, piece, power player, another piece to the I by Power Exodia, <laughs> where it's just, we're building back the team, where, to Jacob's point, the tribalism, if you're AZK, Braxton Skedoodle, who do you want to roll with? And Daze is, you know, he's gone full-on to this game. He's been playing and grinding for months now, where he's trying to other people teams. He's,
2: don't take him as seriously, yeah. because he's been like, I'm leaving counter Strike, and he'll come yeah. back like four months later or five yeah. months later, right? Like, he's had... Dude had some definitely had some hurdles since being mm-hmm. banned in terms of, like, mental psyche and, like, mm-hmm. sticking with something. So I think people don't take him as seriously when he's like, I'm going to Valorant. Yeah. They're like, yeah, he'll go away in a few yeah. months. But I actually do think, yeah. to Towers' point, I think he'll end up on T1. I, I, so, I think that's right. Yeah.
1: So I do think, like, there he is being tested out or he's being looked upon as the okay. fourth member of the team. And then the fifth people, I think everyone, and I've seen this a lot, is everyone saying, oh, it's Steel. Steel has to be the fifth player. It, do the Exodia. Get the Exodia. Get all 5 high by power I members. mean, what a story that would be, right? How, yeah, how, would be,
0: how cool of a story would that be would, if that happened? It
1: would be the coolest story in Valorant. How cool would that be if you summoned Exodia? You know, T1 is summoning the old number one NA Counter-Strike team that was, you know, cut off at the knees before they could actually run, right? Like, this was the team that was supposed to be the first Counter-Strike major winners for North America. They were supposed to be the dream team, not Cloud9. <laughs> Not team Liquid either, but Arda, but Jacob, mm. we have to. S- there's it's a sweepstakes. And yes, from what I've heard, T1 has, you know, thrown in and talked to Steel. Uh Steel is looking for a hefty amount similar to Signed
2: with Project. Yeah, he signed, signed with
1: project. So no no. You know what they kind of are looking for, and you can we can argue all day who deserves more between Steel or Nitro. Uh, I think most people would say that Nitro, Nitro obviously has has the greater pedigree, but you know Steel is you know he's one of the few tier one players, a guy who just led a Chaos team who's uh, on a run where the Chaos he's really. And I think the thing with Steel is he's shown that he can raise up young players and he can bring them, them up. Even when he's not ele- – even when he's hamstrung where he-, he knows if he raises these kids up good enough, he's going to have to get cut. That's impressive, right? How – how that's pretty honorable where it's yeah, like, I
2: mean, that was his job at chaos. Yeah, he literally yeah, built up yeah. this team to be a top-20 team, and then yeah. he's like, then okay, if you, guys, yeah. if you guys qualify for a major, I have to get yeah. replaced because yeah. you can't play them, right? Like, so –
1: so Steel, obviously T1 would be amazing. It would be Exodia if they if they actually do sign days and it's not just a trial and they sign him full time and sign Steel, you summon Exodia, you summon the old the greatest narrative you could possibly create. But it doesn't seem right now that T1 is in the lead for old Steel. Ooh, if, I because,
2: <laughs> <laughs> if I make an
1: educated prediction I make an
2: educated prediction, Steel yeah. will go to go to honor tapes.
1: Yep. And, and, and I think it's becoming a, it's a coming up broken record, like right? T1 versus 100 Thieves, T1 versus 100 Thieves, T1 versus 100 Thieves. They were in on Hiko. They were in on Ska. They were in on Nitro. They're in on Steel. Like, if you're a fan of either of these two teams, like, you have to appreciate both Brasses, like, really caring about their team. Up, and they don't want to settle for fifth place, fourth place. They want to be champions. When the first World Championship comes along, both 100 Thieves and T1, think they're gonna be the ones raising the trophy and they're gonna do anything in their power to do that. So T one has inquired about Steel, as they should, and I don't believe he signed fully yet. I don't believe it's as close Didn't as right like it. Didn't Not as close like it when I not as not it's not the Nitro situation where I was pretty much yeah, they're in deep conversations, guys. They're in deep, deep conversations and then literally like two hours later they're like, Oh yeah, we, had, put, we had oh yeah, we had to put this video together before you broke it. So yeah, so 100 Thieves <laughs> does seem to be most likely, most likely uh, uh route for uh, for Mr. Steel. He has been screaming with them in 10 Mans. We've seen the screenshots of him playing Killjoy uh, with Kiko and Nitro playing on Smurfs and them scrimming and getting the first trials out of the wait, way. Wait, wait, wait.
0: Killjoy post-patch?
1: Pre-patch. Pre-patch. Oh, okay. Just checking. Just checking. Pre-patch. Just
0: pre-patch. Just checking. <laughs> who, who who on earth plays Killjoy yeah. post-patch? Anyway, yeah. I'm just kidding. So,
1: so... So if I, if I was a betting man, and I think if me and Jacob have had to bet, we would have to bet a 100 Thieves. Nate Shaw and the team have been okay. very aggressive okay. in the market. And I think if you're Hiko and Nitro and you're looking at the kind of surveying the, the Valorant scene, I think Steel is someone you point at and says, we can win a world title for this dude. Like, sure. If people will be like, oh, there's two IGLs. How will that ever work? It's like... Nitro is an all-around great player. Ah, ah,
2: interesting you say that, though, because mm Steele, when I asked him specifically Mm -hmm. about this in in the interview, I think we're going to show a clip in a little bit of it, and he verbatim said, I don't mind being an IGL, I don't have to be an IGL. So I think he would be willing to give that up uh, in, in favor of Nitro. That is what Nitro feels strongly about.
1: So, Sorry. It, so while it's not ending, it's not. It's not like the Nitro Sweepstakes where by the time we had our Thursday show, it seemed all wrapped up for Hundred Thieves. I do think there's still room for you know deals to be made. Hopefully, maybe, but it does seem like it's trending in the way of Hundred Thieves steel. And if it's so, how? Just think of the first Hundred T versus T One matchup. Oh, like we, huge, know, huge. we have Sentinels. We have Sentinels versus TSM. Now you have like this other heated rivalry where it's. It's all of I, by powered plus their fifth whoever that might end up being versus Steel Hiko, <laughs> Steel Hiko and Nitro, like like that's I so I, many I good like stuff there. I like
0: the genesis of both of those rivalries. Yeah. TSM and Sentinels don't like each other, <laughs> but they like bring it. the best out of each other. No. But then you have T One and hundred thieves where they've been battling for players like i love how that just that's such a springboard for a natural rivalry it's great it's great we need more of that yeah, yeah so they're
2: they have incredibly prideful executives in joe marsh and nate Shaw too which is the funny part like the icing on the freaking cake both those guys like want to be top dog in, well, in this industry yeah. joe, so, joe marsh yeah.
0: is at a disadvantage because he's a flyers fan but I digress. Uh, <laughs> let's get to the interview actually. that Jacob did with Steel, which is available at YouTube.com slash ESPN Esports. Let's get to a clip right now.
2: Um,
3: So I guess what I want to ask about that is, you know, why now? Why didn't you make this decision a few months ago? I think that th- the main thing was that even though I had limitations in Counter-Strike, obviously it's just like the two majors a year and then some odd RMR events, for the most part i knew where i was in counter strike i knew what i was capable of i knew uh the scene i i knew that it wasn't like super changing all that much and i knew kind of like where i could compete what level i could compete at with valorant there's a lot of question marks um when i was i was actually approached earlier like a few months ago by an org um that wanted to bring me into valorant but the offer was kind of not enticing it was like less salary than i was making counter strike for example um but beyond that there's a bunch of question marks will i be good at it will i like the game what's going to happen with the scene like is it going to develop into something really big so for me to switch at that point in time when the game first came out would be very risky for me because i wouldn't know what to expect and i feel like i hadn't really done what i set out to do with chaos like i had with with ghost um, so Back then, it didn't really make much sense, but now that I'm, you know, getting the team to a level where it's like we're top 20 in the world in CS, and I can be happy with that, and I can kind of pass them off like, okay, you guys are in like a pretty good situation that you're nestled in at the moment, top 20, you're in EPL, um, you're going to get invites to other tournaments, there's uh, another player available that you can get now, let's make this transition as seamless as possible. If you know, they weren't able to get a player now. I'd still be playing CS with them for a little bit while also kind of weighing up the offers for Valorant, but because of the timing of the replacement, that's why I'm currently on the bench instead of playing out these these last remaining matches with them.
2: From a role perspective, right, you were quite famous in CS for being an in-game leader. You're a vocal dude, a thoughtful dude, clearly, uh, here speaking today, but um, that you think that's the role that you want in Valorant too, is really sort of being able to control things
3: on the map? it's it's not a necessity so when i started doing in-game leading in counter-strike it was actually pretty early on when i was playing counter-strike source that like the teams i had been playing with kind of on an amateur level playing with a bunch of local dudes we needed one so i became it but as i played with other teams i had been not the in-game leader so when i was playing um with on cyber rev with like Days and Frost and TCK and stuff, Days was the in game leader. And then when I moved to, or so I, I, I'm i mixing up the timelines here, but like when I played before that, because that was after I was playing with Dynamic, Dynamic AZK was the caller. Um, on my earlier Cyber Rev rosters, Schaefer was the caller. So it, it's not like I was always the in game leader. On MTW, um, Nookie was the caller. On Dignitas, though, I was the caller. So and then on I Have My Power, like Days was the color sometimes, I was the color sometimes. So I wasn't always an in-game leader in Counter-Strike. Um, I had taken up that role when it was necessary, but I have switched between being a primary opera, in-game leader, kind of a playmaker, like first entry fragger guy, and also um, more recently on Chaos, especially like site anchor and lurker on, on um, CTNT. So I've pretty much done every role in the game, including a game leader. But I don't think it's something that I need to do.
0: All right. The full interview is available at youtube.com slash ESPN esports. Definitely worth checking it out. Uh, do so after the program. Uh, checking out chat Uh, A lot of you are asking questions. Uh, Ashrai in particular said, uh, can you address how some of the pro players are involved in a match-fixing scandal in CSGO? Uh, This stems from a video that has surfaced online. Tyler, what do we know about this?
1: Uh, What we know is that it's uh, the MDL, which is Mountain Dew League, kind of the academy or secondary league of Counter-Strike Global Offensive. Uh, As we all know, a lot of, of those MDL players, those tier two players in North America, moved over to Valorant and a lot of them have done quite well finding themselves on teams with uh pretty nice uh monthly salaries and while i am there's i think we're so far away from actually naming names and i would not name anyone because it it's just it's silly and 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 we need to farm and, more- and also
2: just Context around that, yeah. sorry, like context no, no. around that, given what's actually happening with coaches right now, particularly yeah. Hunden, Dead, etc., a lot of people are going to be witch hunting in Counter-Strike right now, so I would say take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Yeah. What it was said was that the Esports Integrity Coalition, which is a part of our Esports Integrity Commission, which is partners with ESL and DreamHack, have mm-hmm. 15 open investigations into pl- various different mm-hmm. players around Counter-Strike. Several of them, which are expected to be for match fixing in the Mountain Dew League. That is the expectation. Yes. So, But there are, because of what happened with Dead, the MIBR coach, and Hunden, the heroic coach, um, lots of people are witch hunting right now in Counter-Strike for, for cheaters and match fixers. Mm-hmm. So I would say take everything with a grain of salt yes. until you actually hear about it from
1: a reliable but source. I, I can say that I've had uh, some people, some pros in the Valorant scene that have reached out to me. I've reached out to them asking do you think there are pros in the current Valorant scene who are doing well in North America who are could be caught up in this match-fixing scandal? And I have heard back from these people pretty much saying, yes, 100%. They are people who are going to be, if this is found to be true, and if there are if there was match-fixing to we had in those investigations, uh, some NA teams are going to have a very difficult situation on their hands, right? Take up where it's a thing of, what happens because it's not counter strike valve can ban them all they want valve can just mm-hmm. kick them out the door and be like you're never going to do a major again but it leads it's all to these you know tier one organizations right where uh for for just for clarity sake it's no one from t1 obviously but for t1 you know two of their players maybe three if they sign days are banned for match fixing what happens when you have a situation where you haven't you see players who possibly or could be condemned to be match-fixing in another game. Do you just outright kick them? Or are they banned right away? Do you give them a second chance and say, it might have been six months ago or a year ago, but, you know, like, it's a different well, game.
2: So that's where it gets really complex, right, in the yeah. sense that it gets really complex because with the, with AZK, Brex, uh, Ske- Steel, and Dazed, right, the, the four guys who got banned from the Power team, people rem- may remember, it. Skadoodle never claimed the money or the skin, so he never got banned. With those guys, it's really easy to say, oh, well, they did it five years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the, the actual match that they match fixed in uh, was almost six years ago. The scandal was five and a half years ago, early 2015. But the match itself was this, was August of, t- of 2014, so six mm-hmm. years ago that you can you can make the argument these guys learned from their you know their their financial upside went out the window their competitive dreams went out the window they had to find other opportunities or other hobbies they had to sort of sit in this purgatory for 5 years until valorant came around to find themselves a, something a, a different thing in our space to do that gets a – that argument gets a lot harder if someone did it 6 months yeah
0: right yes. like it's a whole different it's, thing
3: mm, it's worms
0: yeah it's a good that's a good point it's the idea that we feel at least as though the i buy power component right have have paid yeah. their due and have, they have. Have, have, yeah. have 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 atoned for their sins so to speak have been in that jail so to speak yeah. and served their time yeah. and now they're able to have a second life whereas if we found out about it today that someone in valorant was match fixing uh Six in csgo ago. the yeah. thing is that the, the optic optically the perception is they have not served their time we just found out about it so optically it looks a little different than someone who has been sitting on the sidelines
1: yeah i mean if you uh, like if you look at some of the reactions from you know csco analysts like i i think something foreign said actually resonated with me where he said steel has done far more for the north american scene to make up for what he did in the past five by power yeah and that's true he has led and he's grown and he's kind of taken on this stewardship of he's led these these young players up, and he's really taught a lot of these young players how to play counter Strike And he did it knowing that if he got – to lead these guys to glory meant his failure in the end, where he would have to get cut, where he would not be able to take those final Good. steps towards majors. So right. Steele and Brax and ACK, all these players have atoned to some point, and they've all had like – I interviewed Brax at length about this for a feature I wrote for ESPN. And for two years straight, he was in purgatory, where he woke up every single day, he went to go stream Counter-Strike, and in the back of his mind, he was thinking, please let this be the day, please let this be the day, please let this be the day I get unbanned, because that's all he dreamed about, was he wanted to play Counter-Strike for a living, not as a streamer, but as a pro player. And five years later, six years later, we can say, yes, they've learned their lesson, they deserve a second chance, at least in another game. And I think most people would say they deserve a second chance at Counter-Strike. But if this is something, if you if it comes out, you did this six months ago, what's your defense? It's, uh, I've changed a lot in six months. Since I moved to Valorant, a much more safe, cleaner, not so much toxic scene as Counter-Strike, I've learned to be an upstanding citizen. Like, well, that's not going to fly.
0: No. Well, we will have more information as we understand it. Of course, remember, Jacob also covers Counter-Strike for us here at ESPN Esports. He has a column at ESPN.com slash Esports. Uh, the Eco as well program and uh like i said the interview with steel that you can find on youtube speaking of second chances gentlemen how about breach let's talk about these patch notes mate don't call it a comeback he's been here for years breach has now gone, at least in North America, from being a virtually unpicked agent to now being the best counter to the most powerful combination in Valorant, and I'm talking about the Jet Op. Patch 1.07 includes a lot more than that. Of course, now we're talking about Sage's nerfs and how virtually this agent will become... Perhaps unplayable. Those weren't nerfs.
1: Those weren't nerfs that was a death sentence. They I just... So. They <laughs> were like, killed no, my
0: girls. That <laughs> that was, those weren't nerf guns they were using there. No. I you saying. I, I
1: have not been playing a lot of games in
2: a few weeks because we've just been kind of inundated with a bunch of work, like ramping up for worlds, etc. But I do not play Sage anymore. And you guys will remember how adamant I was. Yeah. I uh, I play Omen and Cypher now. That is uh, that is my life. That, that character is
0: put... Twelve feet under the ground, not just two feet under the ground. So, yeah. So, okay.
2: So (laughs) Dead
1: character. No no worth.
0: Man. man, Remember remember a lifetime ago when Sage was an Insta-Lock? Oh, Oh, man. Has there been one? Actually, let's think about this. Has there been one character that has literally gone from Insta-Lock to Insta-Ban? Not Ban, but, like, never used? Yeah, from 100% usage to 0%. Sage has to be the first, right?
1: That happens to League of Legends all the time, though. League of Legends, they, they, they're tweaking. Well, in, and, Valorant,
0: and, in Valorant, oh, in Oh, Invalorant.
1: Yeah. no, no, no. In Valorant so He's far, in Valorant, this, yeah. is, this is the first, like, hero to zero. And then you have Cypher over here. They're just chilling. The Cypher mains <laughs> with their silly little cameras, their nerd cams, their tripwires, their 90%, 95% pro, pro play rate, almost 100% of the team's playing Cypher. It's almost a designated position. No nerfs, no nothing. Cypher's just chilling in the corner while Sage... Who was already falling out of the pro meta basically got her arm cut off her left arm cut off her knees cut off she's not a playable character anymore And I do agree like and this wasn't towards pro play right this was towards general this is for the plebs right where Sage is for plebs a a overpowered character because the the amount of power you get from that one heal or the self heal Is incredible because in a pro match you don't get a lot of time to think you're getting headshot immediately You don't usually get many chances to heal yourself with the headshots and the accuracy and all that but people in lower ranks don't know how to shoot, Arda. They don't know how to shoot, Jacob. They're shooting at the knees. And when you get shot at the knees, oh no. I'm Heal. 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 You don't, if you do that against a pro player, you just get shot in the head unless, and is dead.
0: Un- unless you're Jacob where you're sage lurking and there's yeah. no heel <laughs> around you and you're just except like, I'm, not- I need a heal. My- Where's my <laughs> sage? Where's my sage? <laughs> On the
2: other side of the map. What? This, is, this is why Omen is a better fit for me because I literally can <laughs> just like show up behind people yeah. and be like, hello.
0: Yeah. <laughs> for those curious by the way for those curious at pop flash which is the most recent north american tournament mm. sage had an overall 38 percent pick rate where Perfect. uh to, yeah to tyler's point 99 for cypher and 87 percent mm. for omen so those are the top two but yeah 38 percent.
1: the thing i liked about sage though and i think i think a lot of pros agree with this is that she didn't need to get touched is that she was in a very f- interesting place where you could either have played her very very safe play a very safe sage which we were seeing a lot less of or you had the David Ps the uh, and especially the sick of the world and Mitch's, where they were playing the battle stage where they were using that self heal where they were yeah. playing Aggro where they were playing up in front and now she's just such a useless character where you can't even get a full heal off it takes ten seconds to self heal for sixty uh, hit points oh and your wall you know your res wall that you always throw down instantly to make sure you can rest someone uh, that doesn't matter because uh, now it, it takes what three seconds to fortify. So you could just knock down that wall instantly if you're if you're waiting for a, sedge, a sage a sage res. So yeah, she's a dead character. Uh, they they gutted her. They 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 chopped her at the knees. There there really is no point in playing Ray. She needs buffs. Like now we're in this weird position where the most power, overpowered character in the game now needs buffs to even be relevant. Because I don't see her being played at all in pro play anymore. She doesn't yeah. serve any use. So. We're most likely going to see Cipher continue to be that anchor, and we're going to see four. And I think Killjoy too. If we can get to Killjoy. I think Killjoy also had a big nerf this patch.
0: Yeah, talk about the nano swarm. Uh, yeah. What else was buffed for uh, for Killjoy? Gosh, I mean, she was so over. annoying. The, the nano swarm yeah. and the turret. Yeah. Well, the turret was actually a bug, right? Like yeah. Silva's recon bolt could could identify the turret, but the nano swarm was way. I think that was one of the things that the. Pro players mentioned the most, yeah. and the ones that I talked to, they were like, "The nano swarm is ridiculous. Yeah. Like, it has to be nerfed."
1: I think people are just realizing that like, Killjoy is kind of awkward and goofy on attack, and that she really only yeah. is great, is good in post planned situations, and great on defense. And now you're taking away some of her what even made her relevant in the in the first play, which was her overpowered uh, nano swarm, her turrets useless, her alarm bars fine, but now that like. Oh hey, the Swarm is very obviously seen. It can't be really hidden or a trick anymore. You can't really trick people into uh stepping on it. It gives you a longer wind up time now before it kills you or even tickles you now because they've they've turned down the damage, I believe, about twenty or forty percent. So killjoy again, I think she'll still see more play than Sage just because I think her ult is still really, really good. And I think mm-hmm. some proteins can play really well around that around that ultimate. So I can still see maybe teams like C9 who've seen some success with Killjoy keep playing her, but Killjoy wasn't an overpowered new character to begin with, which is, is kind of strange because in usually in League of Legends when a new character comes out, they're almost always meta. It's always like, oh my god, if Phileos has yeah. 500 different things, like he he's so overpowered, 200, <laughs> 200, 200, 200 years. years, yeah, like oh man, I'm, Yone's like they're not even letting Yone into freaking Worlds because he would have been Permban too, like. Uh, in Valorant so far, we've had Reyna, who came in and people are like, okay, she's kind of she's kind of bad. We're not gonna really use her, and now she's kind of used in in certain situations with uh, high high end fraggers like uh, Scream and Tensor playing her than no one else is. And now we have Killjoy who was being played by Mitch and a few other players, but not an overpowered pick. So it's a it's a weird kind of switch from League of Legends where in League of Legends every new character is overpowered. Let's see them pro play. Let's let's get those people buying those characters. We're in Valorant so far, it seems like a lot of the new characters are kind of... Uh, they, have spe- they, have, they have uses, they're, they're useful in some compositions, but they're not overpowered at all, and they don't seem like staple... Uh, I don't see Killjoy or Raina being staples in any meta in the coming future.
0: Uh, a couple more things about the patch. Jacob, uh, nerfs to the shotguns, buffs for the Vandal. So that was a yes. deliberate attempt to make the Vandal competitive compared to the Phantom. What do you make of those weapon uh, buffs and nerfs?
2: I actually like it a lot, because uh, in me playing, like, the past few weeks and in, in my spare time now that I'm getting a little bit of it, it's, uh... Yeah, it's... The Vandal felt... It felt good if you were good at, at like, hitting headshots. Felt awful if you wanted to spray even in the slightest bit, right? Like, it was... It was a gun that felt... Depending on your skill as a player, it felt like it was useless, right? Um, For me, I still, like, preferred it over the Phantom for a period of time um, because I I tried to aim high and hit hit the head every single time somebody pops a corner, but uh, the Phantom was the better gun. For sure. The Phantom has been the better gun for, like, at least a month now, I feel like. Uh, Since they made some changes to the Vandal, I think, like, a month and a half ago in the patch or whatever it was. Um, Timeline is all over the place in my head. Uh, But anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, like, this is a very minor buff to the Vandal, but it feels like a needed buff to the Vandal. Because it did feel like it was a little bit behind the Phantom. Nerf to the shotguns, good riddance. Uh, Those guns are (laughs) incredibly annoying. Um, The, I mean, the fact that, like the the t- the big one is the tagging I'm I'm reading the notes right now again like the big one is the tagging tune for targets beyond ten meters the fact that they like changed what a shotgun can do at distance is really important and the slow they changed the slow too um uh, so yeah like I I like all of the shotgun changes. Um, the fact that you could h- get hit from a significant distance by, like, a jet with a shotgun that falls in your face, but she's far enough away, right, that it shouldn't necessarily do everything, that felt kind of bad. And the slow and always felt a little off, but in that particular instance, it felt particularly annoying. So I'm glad the shotguns are getting a nerf.
0: So we'll, uh, talk about, uh, Viper and Breach in a second. Breach. I just want to give a funny anecdote about Sova. So a minor thing about Sova is they updated the physics on Sova's cape, so that Good. it should wiggle outside his hitbox less frequently. So I did a whole uh, pros react piece mm. at ESPN.com slash esports. Uh, I I just asked a bunch of pros what they thought of the patch. So I sent a message to Psalm. And his response literally was, Sova can jiggle. That was his, that was his takeaway from the patch. <laughs> a man of many I'm like, words. I'm like, you know what? I can always count on you for entertainment, Psalm. So appreciate that very much. Uh, Viper. I can't believe I'm asking this, Tyler, but will yeah. Viper become viable?
1: I think she was, I mean, I think she was very similar to Reyna and even Killjoy in a sense of she's, she's never been like, since her recent, you know, buffs in recent times, it has been she has been more viable. I think with her new uh, buffs, especially with her wall, being able to set it up pre, uh, pre-round, which means that you can plant the wall and run away and set up in a different direction is Brilliant. I really like that direction. It makes her feel special and it really does keen on her trying to cut up the map. That's kind of her specialty, right? Where Brimstone and Omen are more about the smokes, having those smokes be in that those the core of their kits, where Viper is much more about cutting off areas where you're splitting the map. You're splitting it directly. There's no dome. All well, her hole oh, is a dome. And they've made that better too with the Viper's pit now not decaying any of your. I think it's a big buffer, actually. I think her being able to, to pre pre uh, pre round her wall is awesome, and gives her a lot more strategic ability. You can now play a lot more around her wall. Where before, it's like, oh hey, her wall's up. That must mean she was on A. Like she was there at the start of the round. Now you can play around that a lot more. Do some fakes with it. Play. I just think it gives her a lot more strategic depth. And I do think her ult now. Uh, you can now have your teammates be in the pit with you. They don't take any damage. That makes it a lot better host and I think while I don't think she's going to raise right to the top of the, uh, the statistics, she's not going to be Cypher or even maybe Breach now or Jet with how needed she is into a comp. I do think we're going to see a lot more Viper signature picks. I think on certain maps and certain situations of certain players, I think Viper now serves... Kind of a, a certain use, and I like that. There should be agents in the game that aren't, you know, always meta. But I think in certain situations, you can make a viper very, very dangerous. So yeah, I love,
2: I love the change to the the jello, the ult, not uh, not affecting your teammates anymore. That is awesome. That is like such a positional advantage. The fact that now your teammates have such a big edge, right? If you like, because there are some instances where you just need to stick in it. Right, like if 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 it puts it up and you're in a, like a two v one situation, but you have some player. Let me just write something out for you. Say like you're in like a three three v one or three three v two, and one of the players on the other team like knocks you down, right? And, and there's two of you left, and you're in a position where like you have to play within that ult. It used to punish yourself really bad or to punish punish your own teammate, but the decay felt really bad. Uh, I love that that is gone. Now, because I think it gives you such a significant advantage for an ult, that's what an ult is supposed no. to be. An ult is supposed to give you a positional no, advantage. So that's no. yeah, yeah, and that's why exactly like, it's why it's it's why it only comes up every so frequently, right? Like or based off your kills, it, you know, having an ult having an ult is supposed to give you an edge, and you're supposed to learn how to play around it. So I like that change in particular more than anything. Um, it feels I think that will feel good for viper players uh, a lot.
0: Last thing, quick thoughts on the uh, breach that was the awesome. biggest one. Yeah. He, he's it. Batman
1: now. He's Batman. I said he's the Batman, the Jets Joker, where now the, now <laughs> we, we have all these Jets in North America, you know, op-ing, no re- you have a bit of a, you have some smokes, you have some flashes. Now you have Breach coming in, not only the three flashes, but now he has the de-scope with his concussion, which yep. is awesome, where if you hit a Jet who is op-ing at the time, it de-scopes them and they can't rescope while they're still concussed which is great. And I, I do see some of the points from some pros where it's like, you shouldn't have one character needed to counter another character, right? Like, you should have more than one option to really beat down the jet, which is just nerfing jet in general, right? You should just nerf jet. You should nerf her ult. You should make her less of an eco killer where you can just play her in an eco round with her ult and steal runs that way. And you should make her ult a bit worse. And you should not make her tailwind so powerful it's operating. I'm interested in it. I'm fine with this. We're kind of in a, we're kind of in a lull period, right? Where the next month, two, three months, we're going to have less. Yeah, hey, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out, and I'm kind of interested to see how this Batman breach works. How, are, we, are we now going to have a designated breach on every team with a designated jet? Like that seems really fun. Like now we have like I saw today that TFP is like, hey, my, my sage got killed, so my sage is dead. Maybe I'll come up breach and, and He's been grinding breach, so you might see breach players become a designated staple of a team to fight off the offers, which. I don't know for the long haul if that's a good idea, but I think for the short term it can be an interesting experiment. Um,
2: I like I like these changes. I I yeah. you know Counter strikes not a good one to one. Overwatch is more of a better comparison about metas and characters and abilities. But like yeah. I I I mean in in any shooter that has characters, uh, Overwatch, uh, Team Fortress Two, whatever it may be, where they have their like unique uh, skill sets, like I think there are inevitably there are characters that ca- counter others and like i'm glad that jet has a counter of some form um so yeah i'm most higher. i don't know if i like this permanently but for the short term i like it it's a good change two
0: quick news items before we get to our awards to round up the show japan has experimented in at least one of their tournaments the aw extreme masters tournament with agent bands uh, we talked about mm. this a long time ago when i i believe was the day day before the global release uh in early june about how this would become a thing when enough agents exist and certainly may it might be a little too early right now uh but our uh friend manager obeys infamous stated uh t- for thoughts on the, the band system that W Extreme Master was using. couple thoughts here. Uh, the talent Skept for Valorant for Complexity Mirko said, I like it. Maybe a little too early to do bands, but I do think once there are more characters, it should be implemented. And Elevate, who's alone to East Coast from 100 Thieves, I love that been wanting it for a while. It's, it's pre-skill gap and makes the game not just be dazzled CSGO. Are the two big comments from that. Yeah, I agree with that. I
2: think I think the the more the roster expands, fans will come more regular. It'll be a, an additional part of strategy that you have to take in more understanding your opponent, not just being better than them on the map. Um, yeah, I, I like it. Uh, I I don't know if now is the time to do it, but I like the idea generally.
1: I, I enjoy. It. I, I, just like I said with, with the previous talk of, of breach versus jet, right, where it's your your chest coming out. We're in an experiment stage of Valorant. We are not even close to our you know, first world championship. Like, if, if we should we should experiment so many different rule sets and formats and everything before we get into our first real world season. Like, let's say rules next year is mid summer, maybe like end of twenty twenty one. Like, we were on to have our first like international worlds competition, whatever. Uh, right decides to name it. We should be experimenting, throwing everything at the wall to see if it works. And if the agent band works, and it's actually something that teams like, and it promotes diversity in compositions, and it, it's just really fun and exciting for not only the strategic minds of the teams of players, but just overall. it I, I'm just real. I just think we should try. It. Throw everything at the wall. It might fail, but that's fine. We're in this. We're in this weird period where we're allowed to like experiment and fail. There's been a lot of really failed formats so far in the initiation Series, which is fine. It's okay that some of these formats suck, because yeah. now we've learned what's good. And uh, we'll talk about that in a few seconds when we talk about the initial Series awards and which tournament formats worked. A lot of them didn't work out, but that's fine, because now we know which formats do work in the future of Valorant, if BO3 versus BO5, our uh, single, single game eliminations, is fine. Like, we're starting to learn things out, so throw everything at the wall, and we're going to figure it out by the time the first Worlds come
0: exactly yeah. exactly tyler a hundred percent the game was released in june People was <laughs> beta before that have some patience seriously uh pop flash let's give just uh one big takeaway uh everybody knows the results by now everyone knows what happened at the tournament sentinels reigning supreme but in terms of it could be anything it could be a team it could be something you noticed it could be a match T- one big takeaway from that tournament. Jacob, let's start with you.
2: Oh, yeah, MV. I, uh, I, I love it. I, you know, I'm not surprised by the winner in Sentinels, but I am really happy to see a team that's investing in development uh, start to build like this. MV Immortals, and Digi, I would lump them all together in terms of developing talent that maybe is not as recognized. Um, I like seeing, seeing that uh, rather than just all the star teams. I'm, I was very happy to see MV performance. Tyler?
1: I told, I told you this on the uh, cocast the coach we did for the uh, pop-flash tournament. Sinatra gets better every single tournament, and that's dang scary. It's really, really scary. Each tournament, he's only getting better, and the sky's the limit for him. He has a natural. Yep. There's no player better with him in the We're going to talk about Sinatra soon for uh, our uh, award season with the nation Series. He just gets dang better every single series. and. That's scary for the rest of the team because some of these players have hit their ceiling already in terms of this mechanical skill and their headshot accuracy and how they go from CS to Valorant. That, Sinatra is still learning how to play a counter Strike game. And when he puts it all together, man, that's scary. Yeah. It's just scary. Speaking of
0: headshots, actually, you mentioned this on Twitter and I completely agree. Envy, it just feels like they just get headshots with ease. They turn a corner and their, their crosshairs are already there. CS that's very they, impressive.
1: That, that's the that's the years of CS that's like that's why they're such a densely CS roster, right? With F- FNS FS and Calypso, like those guys have been grinding CS for a long time, their headshots and just their pure counter strike mechanics are always on point. They super they, impressive. Every game they have at least one like mind blowing sequence where one of them popping up.
0: So uh, very quick hit here for me. Number one, I thought the production values were great. Shoulder content was excellent. I really feel like if nothing else, uh, and there were certainly some positives to this tournament. Pop Flash really set the bar for what production should look like for future Valorant tournament. Everything looked really good. The talent was great. Uh, the content was great. So good job, Monty and crew. Uh, did a fantastic job with the Flash Uh I don't think Sabrosa deserves as much of the uh, flack that he received. Uh, I know that it was a botched play at the end. I'm sure he feels bad about it. I saw the Kevin of LeBron James me. We all saw it. Totally get it. Doesn't deserve that much flack because he did play uh, uh, very well in parts of this tournament. I don't think one play should define him. I think that would move on from it very quickly. And I think that TSM uh, have a lot of work to do in terms of, you know, how to... Defeat the Kryptonite Dignitas in the future, but also what to do here because this is not a result they want. But that doesn't fall solely on Sabrosa, is what I'm trying to say here. So let's not yeah. drag him through the mud uh, just because of one misplay, thinking that all the agents were dead.
1: In-game leading as an entry is, is insane. The only other player I know who does that is Command of Genji. Like yeah. having an entry while also trying to make the shot calls is you're gelling like 12 knives at the same time. It's very difficult to keep them all in the air.
0: So that tied a bow on the entire Ignition series. Uh, So in NA, why don't we hand out some awards? Just imagine us in bow ties and tuxedos, and (laughs) now we're going to give out some awards here. we got four awards to give out. And actually, for many of these, spoiler alert, we actually agreed a lot. So there were definitely some easy choices uh, in some categories. Let's start with best tournament. We're just going to show you on screen what our selections were uh, because, like I said, we did match up in a lot of these. Uh but best tournament. Uh, I had the phase clan Invitational. Faze. I think we all had them.
1: phase was the oh, best yeah. games and for storylines and he had Coach Myth's debut or Coach Myth kind of came. Nah. Like that was it that was his like debut like peaking at sixteen thousand yep. viewers. You had the T S M versus uh Sentinels just of these two teams trash talking and just BMing them like this was like a, a three day straight of just them fighting and squabbling it all culminated in like the perfect best of five final where they went all five matches so uh, In terms of in terms of content in terms of like, like game content and just rivalries and storylines and viewership face was the best and maybe informed as well. I will give pop flash the, the the peg when it comes to uh, production they had the best production of on the but, but phase had so much more going for just teams more games more, more storylines more viewership overall like it has to go to phase
0: absolutely and they and and, and set the record right in the admissions series for top viewership for peak viewership uh, including streams
1: yep 180k plus which amazing. is by far the best like so yeah congratulations to the phase they did a really like they had a, they had some invite teams they had some qualifying teams it was a term instructor that made sense it, uh, yeah. you know, good double in bracket. Uh He had great storylines. TSM Sentinels Sentinel was booming in the final. Like, just everything went right for Faze Clan that tournament. It was just a really awesome tournament to watch.
0: And it also, according to us, I think, Jacob, you agree as well, uh, had the best match of the Ignition series. Yep. So why don't we just go right into that as well? Because uh, the the storyline that was the most spicy mm-hmm. throughout this entire series really had one of its showpiece matchups, Jacob, in this grand final. TSM versus Sentinels, that's the, uh, yeah, for me, I mean, it, it it was,
2: like, the epitome of, uh, rivalry. I think that, um, I mean, it's not like, it's not like what we hope to see between T1 and 100 Thieves, where it just seems, like, match made perfect. This just developed because these players dislike each other. Like, they're a bunch of trash talkers, they're, like, incredibly egotistical. I think a lot of people... This rivalry would not exist if Sinatra in particular is not as good as he is. Um, I think that his uh, his skill, him being as good as he is, kind of made him put a target on his back for a lot of people. Same way it has for 10s, but Cloud9's been a little bit more inconsistent. Sentinels has been the better team, uh, the, better than Cloud9. Um, and so I think Sinatra arrogantly kind of walks around with a little bit of a target's back. And yeah, I mean, some of the, the CS guys, back to our point about tribalism, era, like. Some of the CS guys beat up this Overwatch uh, former Overwatch League MVP, and uh, yeah, he uh, they want to show show him who's boss, and and he uh, he stuck it to him a few different times, including pretty recently. So, yeah, th- this this final was fantastic. Um, Culmination of everything around social media felt great.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, it, to me, like this this was my favorite match of the Ignition for sure.
1: Agreed. I mean, you could say either the upper bracket final, which had the, the marathon match on Hayden versus Sinatra, tried to run James' way to the victory of just on <laughs> Sova, just, just <laughs> grinding, had 30-plus kills, try to grind his team to the victory they lost, then to the finals itself for TSM1 again. You have the trash-like of Hayes saying he had to take these kids out of him a bit. You have, like, and, and I just love the rivalry. I love it. I love how, you know, Drone and Taylor saying Zombs can't read. I love how <laughs> Zombs says, I want to fight these kids at the first land. Like, these guys are, the first Valorant Land is going to be so much fun. And you think of Sentinels, TSM, 100 Thieves, and T1 with you know, maybe the, I, the I by Power Crew rolling of T1 jerseys, and you see Steel with a 100 these hat on. Like, it's so, it's like, this, I hate COVID so much. It sucks so much. Like, the first NA Land or the first International we to have all these teams together, it's going to be a blood. There's going to be so much beef. but Yeah. But I think the thing that the thing that Drone and Taylor told us, even when they were trash sentinels, is that they bring the best out of us. They're, the one thing we say good about them, the one thing that we compliment them them all is they're damn good. And they push them to be better. And that is something that you want in any very great rivalry. You hate your rival, but they push you to be better. And that was the that was the summarization of that final of the Flash Clan Innovation, which was the best Valorant match. Bar none doesn't matter what region that is the the marquee match so far in Valorant
0: and looking back on that sentinels i mean tsm had the map advantage yep. that's a whole other conversation we're not yeah. going to get to right now but, but sentinels won their matches pretty convincingly 13 to 8 on haven 13 to 7 on ascent tsm labored over their victories right 13 11 on split overtime need for bind to secure the victory yes they got the win but that's where we really started to think you know what sentinels might have something here like this is where we truly believed it cemented the rivalry and we're like oh yeah. man okay give me a hundred more of these tomorrow you know it was yeah. great uh okay let's move on to best team i think that this one is unanimous too that's easy. i think that i think it's 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 easy to say sentinels simply because of their dominance some people might claim recency bias and i would only say agreed if tsm had a longer uh dominant streak like if t1 didn't have that initial uh top of the power kings at like the very beginning yeah. and if it was tsm instead then you could argue the debate like first half second half but it, it definitely has to be sentinels it's It comes
1: sentinels down to man. yeah it comes down i mean the thing it comes down to if we're talking about best north american team to this point you can bring up the other tournaments that TSM have been in, right? TSM has a lot of third-party tournaments they've won. Uh, Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Gauntlet Series, uh, Pulse Invitational, stuff like that. But if we're talking about just lone, Edition Series tournaments, the four grand, you know, big major NA tournaments we've had so far, Sentinels have made three finals. They've won two. They won the most recent. Uh, they dominated the most recent one. They blew out Envy in the final. They only dropped one map on their way of just destroying everyone in their path. Like, it has to be Sentinels. Uh, from one to five, the most, uh, they are the most—they are the most gifted team in North America. When it comes from one to five. It doesn't matter what game it is. Uh, you can either have stick at top of the boards, dapper at top of the boards. they they, they have just firepower to every single position. And Zoms, I just want to give out to Zoms because Zoms was the weak link. I thought when we first started, Zoms looked like that player who was going to keep the—he was tur- he was a—he he was going to hold everyone back. he you know, he's Sinatra's best friend. He's this apex kid. A uh, bit of an ego on him a bit, like people were mad at him, like obviously Hayes was like, I don't respect this kid, why is he t- <laughs> Why does he have this personality when he's pr- proven nothing in an actual tactical shooter, and Zom has grinded this game, where Zom has gone from being a player that, you know, at the beginning of the Sentinels run, kind of was holding the team back, to now being, you can't have a championship team on Sentinels without Zom's. He is so good and he's so clutch. Like, I just want to give a shout out to Zong, because we know about Sinatra and how great Sinatra is, and rightfully so. He is the ace of the team. He's the superstar player. But Zom is the glue of the team, and he has improved so, so much. Just from the first initial series out, it's light years ahead. He's also a player where he gets better every tournament, which yeah. has to scares some of these people.
0: All this while preparing for a fight with Sabrosa. Yeah. It's very impressive. It's very, very impressive.
1: All the multitasking. Of, exactly. I
2: was say, by the way, Tills is the first team to move into a town. also uh, of all our teams. you go. They, um, they all live. Not too far from me here in Austin. Um, nice. Zoms, Zoms is already here because it's the original the original uh, Sentinel-Sypex house. Uh, um, and he was part of the Sentinel-Sypex team. Uh, but yeah, uh, Sick and, and Shazam moved here about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. And uh, and Dapper had moved before that. And Sinatra moved and
0: he left the shock. So they're all here. They're all in a house. We'll see how that goes. Very, very quick, because we're running out of time here. This is the one category that we did differ on. Here's the board. Uh, very quick. One, one sentence or less. Why did you pick this player, and why, Jacob? Let's start with you. Which and uh, I, I wanted to clarify because
2: we we did an Overwatch column this morning where we talked about like who we picked for MVPs. If you would have asked who the MVP was, I would say Tens because Tens contributes the most to his team out of everyone. Right? Like, he is the most valuable player to his team. I do not think Tens is the best player. I think that Sinatra is the best player from a skill perspective. But I think, if compared to his teammates, Tens would be my MVP. So those are two different things for me. I would say MVP is Tens. Best player is Sinatra,
0: from a skill perspective. Tyler? We we both pick Tens.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I agree, if, uh, I agree with uh, um, Jacob's sentiments. I would flip that. I would say Sinatra is the MVP... Of Sentinels by how he sets the tempo for the team, he sets the precedent for the team. His aggression and his ability to grab for bloods like no other right now. And once champions like um, in Phoenix, the, the the way he can make teams feel so uncomfortable on Sova, where he's ulting at the start of rounds and just hits blind shots like he's there's no other player like Sinatra right now. Where he just he knows how to get the maximum of all, all of his abilities, but with tens. I just think he's Cloud the best player. He just does things that no other player in the can. Mixwell's up there. Uh, Sinatra's obviously up there, Wardell. But it doesn't matter for the judge. It doesn't matter if his rifle. It doesn't matter for his operator. The man does things that no one else can, where he can 1v5 around. There's been times where Cloud9 have looked very, very sluggish, where they're not doing anything, and it really has come down to the 10s to make some magic happen, and that's why I call him a magician. Because he pulls Rabbits out of every single tournament he did with Cloud9. So he led, he led average combat score in all four tournaments. And while ACS isn't everything, that's a dang fine, like, honor to have, is that he led the ACS in all four tournaments, and that's why I'm in the tens.
0: There's a quote, and I'm butchering it, and I apologize. If you're good, you'll tell everybody. If you're great, they'll tell you. And if you ask anybody in the competitive scene... Uh, They say that Tens is not only the best player out there, but even when he entry frags, it's impossible not to uh, disallow him his first frag. You know it's coming. The best you can do is contain him and go one for one, which is a good round. And that's really the best thing you can say about Tens and how he played during the initiancies. Uh, That'll do it for us here. Good vibes, acts of kindness, everybody. We're going to go a little bit of a hiatus with this program, uh, but we will be back... Uh, when the next series. So we will still be covering news and Valorant yeah. and everything. Uh, so don't worry, the show is not going away permanently or anything. But uh, definitely as we get towards the next series of events, you can definitely look forward to the show and continue ESPN dot ESPN.com slash esports. So in the meantime, in between time, we'll see you next time.